0: Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by ValleyWise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in-depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by ValleyWise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. Substance abuse, also known as drug abuse, impacts people from all walks of life and can have devastating impacts on that person as well as those around them. So how can we identify the warning signs in time to get help? Joining us to discuss this important topic are two guests, Dr. Alicia Cowdery and Lawrence Thomas. Dr. Cowdery is a district medical group psychiatrist and outpatient medical director for behavioral services at Valleywise Health. And Mr. Lawrence Thomas is a behavioral health specialist working here at ValleyWise Health. Thank you both for joining us this morning.
1: Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having us.
0: What is substance abuse and addiction, and how are they considered diseases?
1: Sure. So substance use disorders are are classified as medical diseases or conditions just like diabetes or heart disease. Um, One thing I like to do is shift the language away from abuse or addiction to a substance use disorder to kind of eliminate some of that stigma that's historically been associated with these medical conditions. So when people use certain drugs or substances, their brain changes in a way that makes it hard to quit. So even when they want to. So there are behavior changes where individuals seek out substances, they find it difficult to control their use even when they know what they're doing is harmful to their health and their life. So this lack of self-control makes it a challenge to resist those intense cravings to use those substances. So that's why we want to make sure the right medical treatment is available for these conditions.
0: You know, you certainly noted that there are changes that happen within our brains, you know, that enhance the cravings for these things. But what are some of those changes and, and, and how do we help, you know, people deal with those changes?
1: Sure. So almost all of the addictive substances alter the brain's reward circuit. So that circuit can cause extreme pleasure, something we might call a euphoria, where uh, dopamine floods our brains. So when that reward circuit is functioning normally, we might find activities such as spending time with family, friends, hobbies, pleasurable and enjoyable. um, As folks use substances that alters that brain um, and how we experience the dopamine, so that escalating substance use can't generate the same Amount of pleasure. So people keep using more and more um, to continually seek out that euphoria. And so after long term use, a person's brain can have impaired learning, judgment, and decision making abilities because of those chemical changes. What?
0: makes an individual that may be more susceptible to become addicted to these types of substances where others don't. Those that choose to, you know, drink, uh, I'll use alcohol on a social basis around that may not have the effects to become addicted, but others, you know, may tip that scale um, and become dependent on some of these, you know, on some of these substances.
1: So, so that's a great question. And, and we get asked that a lot, Lawrence, and I deal with this a lot in the, in the work that we do, is that there's no really way, full way to predict who will and who won't develop a substance use disorder. Um, what we can do is identify any risk factors that, that a person might have and um, how we can protect those things and the development. Um, and some of those risk factors may include genetics. Um, you know, that's going to account for at least half of of what the risk is, a family history, what stage of development you first start using, gender, ethnicity, um, as well as the person's environment can increase that risk. Um, Peer pressure, history of abuse, early exposure to drugs, um, quality of life, um, as well as if folks have maybe a mental health problem like depression or anxiety that they might be trying to use uh, substances to address.
2: As you indicated, there's really almost no uh, rhyme or reason, as they say, some folks become uh, involved in in the, the drug subculture, thrill seeking, or um, trying to maybe be part of an in crowd. Other folks that you indicated might be using substances to self medicate without truly understanding their dire consequences. For me personally, I was always a really fun loving kid. So for me, I kind of evolved into the drug culture, wanting to fit in, wanting to have fun, not realizing the dangers and over time it became uh, it impacted me pretty severely. So it, it's really different for different people and there's there's really no hard science on those patterns.
0: What makes certain drugs more addictive than others? Are there certain characteristics or properties of some of these agents you know that makes them uh, people seek them
1: out more? So almost all the substances that that folks use are, are going to reward are going to act on those um, reward circuits. And so, one thing to think about it is how uh, how quickly they act, how uh, how much people use the quantity, those kind of things. Um, and so, how they affect that reward circuit um, is going to affect that, as well as some of those genetic um, components that that we talked about. Um, You know, some people, uh, some of the drugs are more potent, such as like a a cocaine, a methamphetamine, or a heroin. So those are going to um, make things a little bit more addictive than, uh, than other more casual substances.
0: If you're just tuning in, we're talking about substance use and substance use disorder and what you need to know to care for yourself and loved ones. ValleyWise Health offers integrated behavioral health care at several locations across Maricopa County. If you need medical care or have questions for one of our clinicians, visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. Lawrence, when you're seeing folks within our clinic, can you get addicted even after just
2: occasional use of some of these agents? Absolutely, Doc. That's what makes it makes drug Use uh, so such a dangerous thing because you can find yourself addicted after a single use with with some drugs and with other drugs it's more of a gradual progression. Both in my work at Valleywise and in my work as as a as a sponsor in the in the recovery community, I've encountered individuals that have been uh, challenged with this this disease that only had a brief a very brief period, like literally maybe going to a party, being introduced to, uh, in one instance, fentanyl for the very first time. And that evolved into a severe addiction. And then in other instances, it was gradual and folks have used cocaine for for many years. And then all of a sudden, their their use has become uh, out of control because of their tolerance increase for the drug. So, as I said, it's like really no rhyme or reason. It's such a, such a dangerous thing. So my hope is to try to interdict or, or, or get folks removed from the environment or into a healthier environment as soon as possible, Since since there's really, really no way to determine what the outcome could be.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's part of key and part of the reason that we want to discuss this topic. Or what are some of the most commonly abused or addictive agents that you all see in your practice that you're helping patients recover from?
1: So some of the most Common things that we see um, are nicotine. Um, obviously, that's a pretty easily accessible in the community. Um, alcohol uh, as well. Um, marijuana um, and painkillers um, are, are things that we commonly see. Here in Arizona, we also see a lot of methamphetamines um, being used and, uh, and, and lots of other, you know, kind of derivatives of some of these things. You'll hear people talking about blues, which are fentanyls, um, that are that have been more prevalent in the community more recently. But those are some of the substances that we Typically see and we typically treat.
0: Does the age of first use have an impact on whether somebody may become addicted or not? And does it make it more of a challenge if somebody were to start using these substances earlier in life?
1: Sure, I think it can definitely matter, but everybody's situation is also unique. People that start drinking early at an early age are four times more likely to develop an alcohol use disorder than those who wait till after 21. You know, the the brain isn't fully developed until about the age of 25, which means those areas about decision-making, judgment, and self-control are not fully working yet. So that makes teens uh, more prone to risky behaviors, including trying substances and having more risks to their brain health. But I would also say that I think each person's situation is individual. And we'll have Lawrence kind of talk a little bit about, uh, about his work there.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree, Doc. With children, I find that in my work at the, at the clinic, the kids that get involved with the the marijuana and the alcohol it usually as, as you as we all know the the term the gateway it often serves as uh, that gateway into that that subculture Also found with working with some of my uh, older adults uh, in their thirties and 40s, they'll often indicate that um, and that that have the more severe conditions indicate that you started pretty early with marijuana and alcohol in their early teens.
0: Uh, that actually leads me into into my next question here this morning was really, you know, have things changed for your practices as we have seen, you know, legislation change in the state of Arizona? We now know that marijuana is legal for recreational use here within the state. So how does that impact professionals such as yourselves and your practice as we're moving, you know, you know, into the treatment of these substance use disorders? Loaded question. I apologize. So that one, I think, <laughs> staying away
1: from that one right now. It's its own radio show, I think, um, or two. So, since the legalization here is recent, um, many of the short and long term effects are fully known. If we look at some of the other states who have had legalization for a little bit longer, um, they do see, uh, you know, a, a notable effect of the legalization is increased use, which we would expect because if it's legal, people are going to use it more. Um, and some of the the bad outcomes that have happened is, you know, increased cases of people driving under the influence of marijuana, an increase in marijuana related hospital visits, um, and the number of underage users um, has increased. So even though it's legal, it doesn't always mean it's safe for everyone. again that developing brain under 25 it's going to put folks at some risk um, and heavy use of, of marijuana can lead to memory problems learning problems attention problems you know smoking of any kind of product can damage somebody's lungs and cardiovascular system so depending on how people are using marijuana um, and you know what's important in the in the work that I do of course is that um, marijuana can adversely affect other psychiatric conditions you know if a person is prone to schizophrenia and they use marijuana it's increasing that dopamine Um, which puts them at higher risk for developing schizophrenia, particularly if they have a genetic risk factor for that, um, as well as playing roles in anxiety and depression.
0: Somewhat of a a philosophical question, does marijuana use and can marijuana use lead to acceleration of use of other substances
2: that may become addictive? I absolutely believe so. I've seen it in my work, both professionally and, and personally.
1: Yeah, and I think there's, you know, uh there is a a ton of hard evidence, but there's lots of anecdotal evidence around that. Um it's very rare for a person to use any of the harder drugs without first trying, you know, an alcohol, tobacco or a marijuana. Um so so I agree uh, with Lawrence on that. Um that uh it's 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 one of those earlier things that people can access and use.
0: So as we transition, what are some of the warning signs of individuals that may be starting to have challenges with substance use disorder that they may themselves recognize or we might recognize in one of our family members um, or loved ones
1: things we typically see are going to be people using more of the substance than they had planned to. Maybe they were only going to have one beer and they had six, um, wishing they could cut down, but they can't. Um, They have strong cravings to use the substance. So they're thinking about the substance and having lots of activities to plan to get those substances. Um, And because of their use, they don't do the things that might be expected of them as far as their home life, um, their community life, their job, their social responsibilities. It may decline because they're using all of that time to to secure and u- utilize the sub, uh, substance.
0: How do you go about, you know, as as uh, healthcare professionals diagnosing a substance use disorder? I imagine it may be challenging to sort out, sort some of these things out. So, are there tools or or, or tests available that you all use, you know, to be able to help
2: guide treatment and therapy for folks? Uh, absolutely. Well, my my primary diagnostic screening tool is the CAGE. Uh, there's a couple other uh, sh- brief diagnostic screening tools there, that are very effective that'll give you some initial indication as to uh, the use and how prevalent that use that use could be, and then you kind of build a plan ar- around that d- based on severity, essentially.
1: Sure, I would say, you know, there are, um, you know, as, as psychiatrists, we use the, our um, our DSM 5, which is our kind of manual of all of the uh, medical conditions that we uh, treat. And if you look at the criteria there, it's going to be some of the things we've talked about increased use, difficulty controlling use, and um, challenges with then the functioning that a person has in their day to day life and, and um, having some of the, the negative consequences and behavioral changes for the substance um, use. I think one thing I I like to point out when we talk about diagnosing these things is that sometimes people can be fearful of talking to their healthcare provider about this because they think that it might be reported to law enforcement or something like that. Um, And we are not legally required to report substance abuse to any law enforcement agency. We are more concerned that people get treatment and the help they need for their health condition in a safe and supported manner.
0: Psychiatrist Dr. Alicia Cowdery and behavioral health specialist Lawrence Thomas are answering your top questions about substance use disorder and addiction. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at Valleywise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 730 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. So we've talked a little bit um, around how we go about diagnosing this, but how do we begin to have and treat individuals that may have a substance use disorder? As I imagine, it's been challenging as this has become often an integrated part of a person's life.
1: So the treatment's going to be multifactorial and kind of dependent on where a person is in their life, their use, and and what they want for their treatment. Um, uh, from a psychiatrist's point of view, there are definitely good treatments with evidence-based um, Uh, studies to show that things work for each substance. So for some substances, there are medications that can be used to help with um, cravings, to help with detoxing from the medications. Um, So the medications are are, are a small uh, portion of what's available, but there's also a a variety of therapeutic interventions. Um, That's a lot of what Lawrence and his team does. So Lawrence, you want to tell us about some of the, the therapies that you provide?
2: Oh, absolutely. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a key intervention, interventive modality that we utilize motivational interviewing to kind of kind of level set to determine where a person is in terms of their willingness and motivation and and capacity to to um, address the challenge. Uh, Those are two of the the, the primary uh, CBT uh, motivational interviewing um, uh, oftentimes just, uh, so just supportive counseling to uh, let folks know that they're not not going through this challenge alone. It is one of those challenges that has stigma attached to it. Um, so uh, there's a reluctance often to uh, disclose to family and loved ones. Uh, so letting folks know they're not going through this alone, letting them know that, as Dr. Cowdery indicated earlier, it's not a bad decision you made, but a, a condition you're struggling with and you have support and uh, compassion to, to, to work through it. There's also, I guess you would call the non-clinical interventions, uh, like the 12-step community. There's also alternatives to 12-step recovery, like um, the harm reduction model and rational recovery, uh, which kind of is uses the model of 12-step recovery, but kind of removes some of the components that people have found over time to be I guess a lot of folks think that uh, the twelve-step recovery might have too much of a, say, a religious component to it. So rational recovery takes the twelve-step model and the principles, but moves that piece out of it that folks might might struggle with either because of their upbringing or just uh, how they how they view. the the spiritual component. So all those methods are effective.
0: You talked a little bit about one of those first steps in all of this is that uh, detoxification or detox process. Tell me what detox is and and what we're looking for and we're going for um, as clinicians as we have somebody undergo that process.
1: So sure, that detox is a process of the substance leaving a person's body. So this is going to be different for different people um, based on the, the amount of substances they're using, the type of substance they're using, um, and how that substance gets eliminated from the body. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, depending on the substance, they can be safer or easier to to come off. Um, some last longer in the body, some make it longer, some are uncomfortable and some are not. Um, so the ones that, that we, you know, worry about the most are going to be... Um, alcohol and benzodiazepines because those are the ones that require medical treatment um, and can be deadly if a person decides to go off of them on their own. Um, the other substances when people are coming off of them such as like an opioid or heroin um, are going to like feel more uncomfortable but are not deadly um, but people experience them as, as very challenging and so that's why I always encourage people um, when they're going through a detox to go through a medical detox so that all of the supportive medications and therapies. Are available to make that process as comfortable as possible.
0: And I think that's an important thing to recognize, you know, around this is you know, your body become can become dependent on some of these substances to function. And if you have made the choice that you are trying to get these out of your life, you know, around that or making the choice to get off, it's important to talk with, you know, your healthcare provider around this to be able to make sure that we're doing this safely. How, I know this, this is, you know, uh, again, probably a variable question, but how long does it take for somebody to detoxify any symptoms of withdrawal? How long might they last as somebody is made the choice to, you know, remove these substances from their life?
1: And that's going to be a variable question also, depending on on the type of substance and how much somebody has used. So each of the, the substances has their, their own time. And then actually, what is the component of The medication you know sometimes you don't or i'm sorry of the substance sometimes we don't know exactly know what is in the substance if a person is buying it off the streets there may be a combination of things so um most people go in for a med if you go in for a medical detox from a substance it's going to be you know at least five days may take longer than that um depending again on the the substance the amount of use Um, how long a person has been using, um, and then other factors that may go with that, such as other medical conditions or comorbid um, psychiatric conditions.
0: Lawrence, as you're working with individuals or working with family members of individuals that maybe have a suspected substance use disorder, how do you recommend that they approach that individual, you know, to be able to help them, you know, make the choice to maybe, you know, uh,
2: remove these types of substances from their life? That's a great question, Doc. Um, one of the things that I am really adamant about is helping families understand that we're looking at a condition and a disorder and not a, 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 um, a matter of someone making a bad choice or or, or having a poor judgment per se. And from there, then you have to have what I call a hope springboard where everyone who's invested in the recovery process has hope and inspiration. And kind of supports the person from that standpoint oftentimes in early recovery when you're going through detox there's a significant sense of hopelessness that you yourself may have so you need others to carry that hope for you until you have your undergirding and and your resilience to to move forward also i i i really encourage folks to educate themselves On the particular challenge, whether it be opioids or alcohol, there's some unique differences there with with that challenge and how it plays itself out socially and what those subcultures look like. One is kind of accepting and cool and one is kind of like an undercover subculture with the opiates and fentanyl and so forth and heroin, uh, two different worlds. And the more you know about how those worlds operate and unfold and what the person is actively being challenged with, the more you can provide that support in real time and in a, in a real practical, supportive way. So hope and education and, and, and compassion.
0: And I think that's key, you know, around all of this is really be be there and supportive for those people that you are, you know, you're trying to help, you know, uh, foster some amount of change. So as we're, you know, ending our time here together today, what are three things that people can do now to take action around uh, understanding substance use disorder um, to help, you know, in their help themselves or help their loved ones?
1: So I think the, the important key takeaways are going to be substance use disorders are medical conditions, and they deserve the full treatment and support of any other medical disease, such as heart disease, cancer. Um, so any support and treatment that that would warrant without any stigma. Things that we need to, to take away as well as looking at our own risk factors and how we can prevent um, any sort of future um, condition happening um, as well as increasing our protective factors to to make sure that we don't develop a disease um, like this. And then I'll, I'll echo what Lawrence said about how to approach your loved one who who you suspect might have a substance use disorder. Coming from a place of compassion, establishing a dialogue that promotes change versus any sort of shame, guilt, or stigma, stigma is important. And providing that hope and support for positive health com- outcomes is going to be really important.
2: Just uh, kind of being there for the person and just understanding that we have to reduce the stigma around it and understand that it is a medical condition and not A bad choice.
0: Amen. Well, thank you both so much for your time today around this and really helping us understand all the stigma around um, and treating around substance use disorder.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank
0: you. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can access all of our blogs and podcasts at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thank you again and we'll talk again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the health care providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.